message. Uh, I want to just catch us up on a few things. If, you, if this is your very first time here at Northlands, a special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Tyler. If you're a mom who's visiting for the first time, a very special welcome to you. Uh, we've been in this season from March till uh, since May, where we are now, uh, where instead of being in a series of messages, what we've been doing is asking the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to us uh, kind of in the moment? What's the, what's, the, what's the now word? And so Greg and Tom, myself and Armando, those who are a part of our preaching and teaching team here, we've just been asking instead of a series that we're all preaching into, we're just going, hey, what's the Lord saying to you? And what he's been speaking to me really since February is this thing about keys of intimacy, that I believe that the Lord is gonna pour out power and that we're gonna see in our culture a level of pressure that we've not experienced in our nation uh, before. And the key to uh, resisting and pushing back that pressure as well as receiving this power, I believe is a key, uh, keys to intimacy. And so what the Lord's been speaking to me about is kind of this week in, week out, hey Tyler, here's another key. If you want intimacy with the Spirit of God, here's another thing that you should consider. And so if you've been with us, uh, that's wonderful. If not, I'm gonna catch you up. The first key that I spoke about a few months ago, back in March, was this idea around shame. That if you're gonna have intimacy with another human being or with God, that you have to deal with shame. That shame and intimacy cannot occupy the same space. It will be a hindrance to the relationship that you're trying to have. And so I preached a message called Shame Off You. And then the second key that I gave us was this idea of having a childlike heart. This idea that Jesus said, if you are going to see my kingdom, you must become like a little child, a child who has wonder in the things of the kingdom and also a dependency on your heavenly father. That children look up at their father and if they are going to be provided for that day, it's because their father provided for them, not the other things in our life like our careers or our retirement funds, that he is our provider and the sustainer of our lives and that he wants us to look to heaven with that reality. The third key I spoke about a couple weeks ago, and it was this idea around full-hearted prayers. To pray to the Lord with a shameless audacity. This is how Jesus called us to pray as his disciples and to hope again and to expect big of God. Uh, today I have a fourth key for us, and I wanna, I wanna preach a message, the key to intimacy around obedience, radical obedience, and I'm calling it full submission. If you wanna have intimacy with the Spirit of God, it will require you to have radical obedience to that Spirit, to, have, to be fully submitted in your life. And today I wanna to talk about what that looks like. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to, to Matthew chapter four is where I want us to begin. Matthew chapter four. And to give some context of what we're getting ready to read here, uh, Jesus is starting his ministry on earth and he starts by bringing a team together. And Matthew is one of his disciples and he's giving an account of the ministry of Jesus. And this is Matthew's account of Jesus pulling together his team. And he talks about the first four disciples. He talks about Peter and Andrew who were brothers. And then he speaks about James and John, who are also brothers. And I wanna read how he calls them. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and, the bro and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, or sorry, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and their father, and they followed him. 
There's two realities when it comes to following Jesus. When he invites you and he gives you an invitation to come and be a disciple. The first one we know well enough, but we, we have to understand the context of their culture. When Jesus said to come and follow, he was inviting them to become disciples, students of his way where we have to notice the nuance and the uniqueness of Jesus's call though, in that day and age, a ra- uh, day and age, a rabbi calling a student was not how a teacher works with a student in our culture. In our culture, a teacher would say, hey, I want you to come to my class and I'm going to teach you some lessons that you can then apply to your personal life if you so choose. That's not the call of Jesus. That's not the call of a rabbi in that, uh, in that culture. The call that Jesus was giving was to come and become me. Jesus was not calling his disciples to adopt a lesson plan. He was calling them to adopt a lifestyle. I want you to become me. But the second part of Jesus' invitation is not about coming and following and becoming him. It was also the response that we see of his disciples to leave their nets behind. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's a call to respond and follow him, but also to leave your old life behind. This is what it means to be a true disciple. Now, the reason I bring this up is because what we have to acknowledge is that there are two kingdoms at work in our day and life now. There's what the Bible calls the kingdom of the world or what we call in the modern day, our culture. And then there's the kingdom of God. It's just what Jesus calls the kingdom. And in the kingdom of this world, there's a certain type of mindset that's marked by the philosophies and the ideologies of our culture. And what can tend to happen is we try and bring the cultural philosophies and ideology of one culture into the other. We take some of the parts of this life, the things that we grew up with, the experiences that we have, the things that we were born into, and we drag them into the kingdom of God as if he won't notice, and he does. See, the kingdom of this world, their culture is marked by always saying yes and never saying no. This culture will never tell you no. It's always yes. Whatever you feel, that's great. You live your truth, be you, total Disney. Hey, just follow your dream. Do what seems right to you. You can have it all. This is a culture, you can have your cake and eat it too. Have it all, fit it all together. Take a piece of this part of your life that you like, take a piece from that experience that you had, take it from this culture that you grew up in, just mash it together, have it all. You never have to change unless you want to. That is not the culture of the kingdom of God. When Jesus said, come and follow me, you are walking into another kingdom and he expects full well that you and I, we leave our nets behind. We leave the old life behind. The things that we cherish, the way in which we operated, that stays here. The kingdom over here speaks about boundaries, timeless design that God had from the beginning. I find it ironic that people say, well, that was Old Testament, that's not for today, or that belonged back there, as if God didn't know how it was gonna be here. He's like, you're right, I need to update the system. Here there's boundaries. Here, it's not about your truth. It's his truth, the truth, one truth. It's not about you having it all, it's about you giving it all to him. What I'm concerned with is that what's creeping in from our culture into the kingdom and can even be among us in the church today is that people walk around with some of their old life, some of the things that they wanna keep holding on to that they just can't let go and they bring it among us. 
And the problem with that is that I remember my wife and I, we went, we went to uh, Paris and London for our 10 year anniversary a few, a few years back. And I remember thinking to myself, Paris is probably where I'm gonna have trouble. I don't speak any French. And I was thinking to myself, London, at least I speak the language. Queen's English, but close enough, you know? And what I've found is number one, I love Paris. The, the, the folks there, I was so nervous. I was like, don't say you're an American. I hear the French have some problems with us. And they were the most kind and gentle, generous people I've, I've come in contact with outside of our country. Like I just, they welcomed me with open arms. It was an awesome time. I come to London, another beautiful place, great people. I just had this expectation that I was gonna get it there. I could figure this thing out. I could live here, make a way. And I, it was the, I, all I could describe it as is it was like the mirror verse. It was, like, it was like they're speaking the language, but everything's just slightly opposite, like just slightly, just to the side, like, could you imagine? Could you imagine? I'm not trying to get political yet. No. <laughs> could you imagine if I rolled in with my Second Amendment rights to the streets of London? For those who don't know your amendments, it's carrying guns. Just rolling in by the way, it's just walking down the streets of London, just, hey, how's it going? Do you think the officials would have something to say to me there? How do you think it would be if I said, hey, I know my rights, I'm an American citizen. They go, you're in London. Some of us are calling out to be in the kingdom of God and we're rolling in with some of the old culture and we think Jesus isn't gonna say anything about it and he has something to say about it. I don't know what your nets look like, I know what my nets look like and all I'm saying is that it's not fitting to bring this culture into that one. There's these mindsets or these sayings. We, we come into the kingdom of God and we say things like, well, I have a right to. That's an American culture, not a kingdom culture. In the kingdom, it's where the king has dominion. Your rights are what he says they are. It's not a democracy or a republic. It's a kingdom. He makes the rules. Some people say, well, it's not a sin, so I can. As if the number one job of a Christian is to figure out what not to do. And it's like, well, I didn't do that. We don't play defense. The job of a Christian is not to figure out how far is too far. That's not a good question in the kingdom. The question is, is what is pleasing to my father? What brings him glory and for his namesake? And that's what we do. The culture says, well, write yourself, uh, just, just write yourself a blank check because you were born this way, you can't help it. I agree with that reality. Psalm 51.5 says that you and I, we were born into iniquity. And then our rabbi Jesus called and he said, follow me. And it says that if you share in his glory, you also share in his death. The old you, the one that was born this way was put to death. And when you cross this line, you are born again with a new heart and a spirit that is alive. Some, some say, well, God would never ask me to do that. <laughs> My man. <laughs> I've heard people say, well, the, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He would never ask you to do anything that, anything that makes you uncomfortable. Can I just say that the spirit of, I'm gonna say it anyway, the spirit of comfort, the spirit of comfort is not here to make you comfortable. The spirit, here, I'm gonna be clapping, here we go. You're going to do uncomfortable things in this life. The king is gonna call you to do uncomfortable things. Isn't it good that you have a spirit who will make you comfortable in the uncomfortable? He's not hedging the bets around you. He's going, hey, we're gonna do some uncomfortable things, but don't worry, the spirit of comfort will be with you. 
Our culture would say, under this world, hey, don't worry. If you want to bring Jesus into the life, not a problem. He's a loving and gracious savior. We completely and totally understand that. If you wanna fit it all together and add him to whatever it is that you feel like you should do, um, that's not what the Bible or the spirit of God would say. He is a loving and gracious savior. And he's also a king who calls for full submission. See, the culture would tell you, you can have a little bit of Jesus and fit it in with the rest of your stuff. We don't have a problem with that. The culture says, hey, let me show you how to live. I'll never tell you how to stop living. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's all or nothing with me. Jesus would say, if you're going to have intimacy with God, you have to fully relate to him as the God, your Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is a loving Father and not but, and he is a righteous judge. Jesus is a loving and gracious savior and he is your king. The spirit of comfort and the spirit of truth. To have intimacy with the spirit of God is to fully relate to the Godhead and not just to pick and choose which parts we like the most and that's the part that I'm gonna connect with. It doesn't work like that with any other relationship in your life. It certainly is not gonna work with this one. And so what happens is, is the Bible calls us, Romans 12, chapter two, let's just uh, pull that up. Romans is saying, you're going to have to change your mind. The way in which you were born into a culture that allows you to do whatever you want and autonomy is the big value, that's not going to work if you say yes to the call of Jesus. And so Romans uh, chapter uh, 12, verses one to two, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of God's God's mercy, he is a merciful God, but offer your entire life, every part of your being as a living sacrifice, holding nothing back, full submission to him, holy and pleasing to God. This is what true and proper worship looks like. And then it says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And for this reason though, why does the, the mind need to be renewed? For this reason, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You wanna you want know why our minds must be transformed? So that you can know God's will and submit to it. This is why you must renew the mind. Because if you're gonna operate in this kingdom, you can't think like that. You have to think like this. Now, John, the, uh, one of the disciples and an apostle of Jesus, John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. If there was a disciple, a human being, who had an intimate walk with Jesus, one that we should emulate, it would be John. And John absolutely recognized Jesus as a loving and gracious savior, but he also calls deeply for a submission to him as Lord. And so I wanna turn us to 1 John uh, chapter two. We'll go starting in verse one. You guys still with me? Excellent. Strong language here from John. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. John absolutely goes, he is a loving and gracious savior who has come to save and rescue that which was lost. And then he turns and he says, now let me talk to you about Lord. 
We know that we have come uh, to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Letting it sit for effect. The truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his words, the love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In a grace community like the one that we are in, I want you to know very plainly, your works do not determine God's love and affection for you. Doesn't matter if you do good or bad works. It's what we just read in, in, first, uh, in, in the first part of this chapter. If Do not sin, but if you sin, you have an advocate. God does not love you more when you do good works and love you less when you do evil works. He cares, but his love and affection is not determined by your works. However, your love for God is determined by your works. James, faith without works is dead. It's no faith at all. You say, Tyler, that feels like a works-based man. No, no, no. God's love for you, not dependent on your works. Your love for God, absolutely dependent on your works. Where did you get that? First John chapter five. <laughs> Still with me, here we go. First John chapter five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, in other words, accepted the invitation to follow him, is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how you know that we love the, ch uh, the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. John's like, let me spell it out though. Verse three, in fact, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Anyone who says, oh, he's my savior, I know him, but does not do what the king commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. If you are to be born of God, born again, it means that you follow Jesus, the son of God. And to follow him means to absolutely become like him and to leave your old life behind, to take your nets and put them aside immediately. This is what it means to love God. So here's where we are. I, I, um, two weeks ago, I preached a message about our prayer life. And I made a, a note of Exodus 32 and Deuteronomy 3. And I said, uh, for Moses, we see in his life and prayer life with God, this relationship where there's been at times where he would pray and God would relent and change his mind, change his will, because he heard Moses' prayers. He go, no, I'll change, okay. And then what we do is we zoom forward in their history and we see in Deuteronomy chapter three, Moses pleads with God to change and to relent. And he says, enough, Moses, not another word. I'm not going to relent. And the point that I brought out was this, was that in the middle between these two points of praying and seeing God relent and praying and God saying, I will not relent. There's this wrestling that we do with the Lord because more than an outcome of our prayer, God, would you do this? More than that outcome, more than giving us something or taking us somewhere, he is invested in making us someone and so we wrestle in the prayer. What I wanna do this week is I wanna be at this no point here and I wanna go beyond it and go, what happens beyond this point? 
Over here, we're talking about our will and God's will and we're praying and we're wrestling together. After he says no though, now you're fully in his will. You're in this space over here. And my question is, is what do you do when God says no? A bigger question that I have for you is, can God say no to you? Can God tell you no? I don't mean what we mean, what we know theologically. Like I know that God is the ruler of all things and he can say yes and no to his will and what he wants to do. I mean to you specifically about your life. Can God say, no, that's not for you? No, I don't want you to do that anymore. No, you, you have to end that relationship. No, you have to move there. No, you can't live here anymore. No, you have to go over here. No, you can't drink anymore. You go, well, no, the Bible says it's not a sin unless you get drunk. I go, no, no, no. For some, he'll allow the freedom and liberty to drink. For others, he goes, no, no, you can't. Is God allowed to tell you no like that? For some people, they go, I'm following Jesus, but you know, I'm a work in progress. And when I hear that no, sometimes I'm like, ah, I just need a little bit more time before I can give myself fully to that. Practicing discipleship is not about perfection. We're gonna slip up, we're gonna make, it, do not sin. But if you sin, practicing, we're practicing. The question is not, have you failed? Have you messed up? Have you done something that's against the command? The, the point is, is when God makes it apparent to you how you ought to live, do you ignore that command? Do you walk away from that command? When you're here and God tells you no, what do you do? There's a, a man in Mark chapter 10. We just know him as the rich young ruler. Uh, we don't know his name. We just know that he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? He's asking about the invitation of Jesus. And he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, he says, well, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. He gives him the 10 commandments. He tells him these are the laws. And he said, ah, Jesus, I've been doing that since the time I was young. And you know what Jesus said to him? I wanna pick it up from uh, verse 21 of, of chapter 10. Jesus says that he looked at him and he loved him. Not because he did anything yet. The rich young ruler hadn't done anything yet. Jesus's love, God's love is not determined by what this young man does. Before there was any exchange of words about what does it mean to have eternal life, Jesus goes, man, I love this guy's attitude. And he said to Jesus, he, or he, and Jesus said to the young man, he says, that's great. You just lack one thing. I want you to take all of your wealth and what you have, what you've invested in this culture and in your upbringing. I want you to leave it all behind. I want you to give it to the poor. And it says that the young man stood at this line that we're talking about. And he looked at Jesus's open hand and invitation. And he looked at his life. And he put his head down with sadness and he walked away because he had too much wealth. He had invested so deeply that what Jesus was asking for him was impossible for him. You say, well, that's not fair. He said, this man had a bunch of stuff and that all the disciples had were dirty nets. It doesn't matter the amount. What matters is, is that the rabbi is coming to you if he hasn't already. And whatever you're holding in your hand that's from this world, this culture, he will ask you to leave it. There's your man, the rich young man looked at Jesus and said, I can't give you that. And he walked away. And it says it's because he was great with it. And then Jesus says to his disciples, hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He's not talking just about our finances. 
He's saying it's hard for people who have led their life in such a way that they've deeply invested into this culture and kingdom. And this is all that they've known. And this is all that they've belonged themselves to. And now he's asking me to divest and go bankrupt here to follow him. I can't do that. Jesus is going to ask very much of you. I, I, I skipped it a little bit, but I just wanna make it plain. Jesus made the same, the, the same calls that, that, uh, in 1 John, Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26. He said, if anyone is to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. If you are going to be a disciple, you must deny yourself what's here. Pick up your cross and follow him. For what good is it someone if they gain all of the world, but when this age passes and they go on to the next, they have forfeited their very soul. This is the invitation of Jesus. This man walks away from Jesus and it wasn't because Jesus didn't love him, it was because he didn't love Jesus. Over your heart and my heart, there sits a throne. And the question is, is who's resting on that throne? I know the right answer if you're a Jesus follower is Jesus. My question is, is that really who has your heart? Whatever's sitting on that throne when you come to Jesus, he is not sharing his throne with anyone or anything. He does expect you to clear house. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to clear the throne because he will have no one else sitting with him. Uh, a few years ago, we had a young man come into the church and he had this radical conversion story, story. Somebody in our church preached the gospel outside of these walls, which I just absolutely love. And he, he just gave his life to Jesus. And as we watched him uh, connect into our community, we just saw his life begin to change. Not because anybody was telling him, hey, you need to do this or stop doing this. He just kept having this call with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus every single day. And from that, that, that invitation to Jesus, he just kept changing. And so I, I took him to breakfast because I wanted to get to know him. Um, and also before I was a pastor, I worked in staffing. And so I was helping him find uh, work and working on his resume. And I asked him, I said, how's your time following Jesus? How's it going? It had been a couple months. And he said, there's two things that have shocked me in following him. Number one, I wake up every morning and he's there. This, this young person had been so badly abused in their past. People used them, abused them, and then rejected them. And he was shocked that Jesus was still with him. He's like one of the first people that I ever had that had, hadn't abandoned me yet. And it's been a couple months now. The second thing that he said was shocking. And I know I was like, this is a man who's found the kingdom of God. As he says, every morning I wake up and whether it's at my breakfast table or while I'm working or I'm at the dinner table, it's like I'm having a conversation with Jesus. And as we're talking, he's super kind, he's super, super gentle, but he just goes, hey, by the way, I want that part of your life too. Hey, by the way, I, I do have something to say about your finances. By the way, I do have something to say about the type of work that you do. Hey, by the way, I do care about your sexuality or I do care about the way in which you operate in the community. I do care about every little detail of his life that he could think of. It's like every morning I wake up and there's a new net that Jesus points out and says, leave it behind. And that was, that's what was causing the transformation and change, nothing else. It wasn't because we were teaching something specifically. It wasn't because we were addressing something. It was just because he's like, I wake up and Jesus is there still. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Oh, by the way, don't touch that. Leave that away. That, that's not yours anymore. And he had no problem with that. 
there, there's this reality that we struggle in this culture because before we knew Jesus, we were raised in this kingdom and in this culture, a place where there are no boundaries. The answer is yes. Do what feels good to you in the moment. Do what makes it seem right. Live your truth. And so when we come into the kingdom of God and it's the first time that we've experienced boundaries, we realize, oh, we don't have healthy boundaries because in order for there to be healthy boundaries, we have to be able to say yes and no. And I don't know about you, I'm learning this, so I'm not very good at saying no. How are you at saying no? Why don't you say no more often? I see a bunch of people smiling, so I know I'm right on. The reason you don't say no is because you're afraid of the outcome. If I say no to my mom or my mother-in-law or my grandma, or my granddad, my dad, that, hey, we're not gonna come to the family reunion this year. I'm gonna get an earful about something. And it's gonna be this like little sly comment, you know, from like, they, they, it's, it feels like they always nominate a candidate to talk to you. It's like, you know, the oldest person in there. It's like, well, I just wish that my family loved each other enough to be together more often. What kind of statement is that? It's like, I just wish that you would love us more to show up. So we don't say no, we say yes. We don't say no to our kids because we don't want a tantrum in the store. We don't say no to our wedding. We don't say, no. okay, I can't go there. Okay, I'm going there. So we don't say no. We're gonna, the last couple of comments I've made about marriage and relationship, everything's gotten super tense. We're doing a marriage series next week, come. Now, something's, we're gonna, we're gonna root this thing out. You don't say, wives don't say no to their husbands because he's gonna pout like a child. So instead of saying no, we find a thousand different ways to say yes, which is, we think it's a no, but we just find different ways to compromise and keep saying yes, because our culture's raised us to do this. So I come back to the question, can God tell you no? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to think about the relationships in your life. Moms, dads, in-laws, grandparents, cousins, coworkers, bosses, kids. I want you to think about all the relationships that you have in your life. And I want you to think of which relationships do you have that you're able to say no to freely without being consequences. And then by contrast, I want you to think about all the relationships where you feel like I can't say no. Those relationships where you can't say no, you can open your eyes because I want you to hear this. The relationships where you can't say no is not a relationship. That's a hostage negotiation. If you say no and they don't like it, they'll shoot the hostage, which is you in this case. Can God tell you no? Or is God your hostage? I'm gonna follow God as long as Jesus keeps saying yes and that our two missions run parallel to one another. But the moment I feel like it's inconvenient, I'm certainly not going to do it. I'm gonna ignore that. The Bible is abundantly clear about how we should live in life and godliness. And it's, uh, it's this time where it's like, God's like, the moment I tell this person, no, they're not gonna make it. Can I just say, that's not a Jesus follower. John says it again, they were among us, but they were never of us. Because they live in a certain way where they say, I'm gonna hold on to this part of Jesus, but I'm certainly not gonna do that part. Can I also just tell you that the culture if, if, you have G, if you have God hostage because he can't say no to you, which again, Jesus, God, you're not holding God hostage. He, he'll let you walk away, which is what Jesus did for the rich young ruler. There's no holding God hostage. He'll just go, 
do you? But can I also say that if you're somebody who refuses to go into that kingdom, you live in this kingdom, this culture has you hostage because it keeps saying yes to you so that you never wanna leave it. You stay here because it's comfortable and it lets you do you and live your truth. And like a net, it wraps around you and it holds you here so you'll never wanna leave. If you want intimacy with God, it means that you'll have to relate to him fully, which means the two things, that you relate to him fully as the Godhead. He is your father and your judge. He is your savior and your king. He is the spirit of comfort and of truth. Relate to him fully if you want an intimate relationship with him. And also, you must submit to him fully if you want an intimate relationship with him. This is gonna sound crazy in our culture, in this culture. God knows how to live your life better than you do. I've said this before and I've heard it said many times. There is nobody in your life who will lie to you more than you about you. You are not to be trusted. We lie to ourselves all the time. God knows better. Submit to his good and perfect will. So the pathway to intimacy, I've got I gotta speed up. No, I got time, come on. <laughs> Thinking I gotta go. The pathway to intimacy, let's just talk about that. The pathway to intimacy, number one, very simple. You have to pick a kingdom. Pick a kingdom. And before you ask the question, because the culture will allow you, this is not an option. Revelation 3.16, he will spew out lukewarm Christianity because it's not Christianity at all. This does not work in the kingdom. Totally works in this culture. Is not accepted in this one. Pick a kingdom. And it is a hard choice, I understand it. It is an absolute hard choice because in this kingdom over here, you get to be king. It's your will. What makes you happy? Who wouldn't wanna stay there? And in this kingdom over here, it is a call that you're not the king, he is. And it's about his will and good pleasure. And in this kingdom over here, they'll never ask you to deal with the pain of changing. Change is painful no matter who you are. It really is, I understand it. But it's not about comfort. It's about your king who is calling for you to change every day. Just like my friend, I just find I wake up, there's Jesus and he's saying change. Change this, change that, change this. Why? Because I'm renewing my mind to find his good, pleasing and perfect will because his will will lead me to life. There is a way that seems right to a man, live your truth, but in the end it leads to death. You have to pick a kingdom, and then here's the, if you thought it wasn't hard already, you have to pick up your cross. Everybody has a cross. It might look different. It might be a fishing net. It might be great wealth. Everybody has a cross. It's very difficult for everybody. And my question to you is, what's your cross? What's sitting over your heart right now? For some of us, I'm gonna be very frank in this moment because it needs to be said plainly, as plainly as possible. For some of you, it is your political party. It's, it's a certain guy or gal, candidate, it's a certain party, and it's representing power. Because we as human beings have grown up in a culture where power is a king. And Jesus says there's only one king in this kingdom. I heard, so, I heard somebody say, a, a YouTube prophet, that's a thing now. 
somebody who gives a word about, about the election and they say, it doesn't matter who voted in. It doesn't matter who's voted in. I know that heaven recognizes only one of these candidates as a rightful leader. And then he says, I saw a vision of a throne being put in heaven that's recognizing this man. Can I just say, the last person who tried to put a throne up next to Jesus was cast down like lightning from heaven. I'll say it as plainly as I can. It wasn't just a false prophecy, it was demonic in its nature. I'm not saying that this person was demonic. I'm saying he was like Peter when Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to die when we get to Jerusalem. They're gonna hand me over. They will put me to death because this is the will of my father. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. You're my connection to power, Jesus. I'm not letting you go. We're not letting them take you. We will raise up an army. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the affairs of my father. You have the affairs of man. So all I'm saying is that people who wanna set up this reality that there are, there are human beings who can be kings like Jesus or offer you power and confidence, I'm telling you that's not the gospel and it is a cross that you must crucify because it belongs in that culture, not in this one. For some of you, you're going to have to crucify this desire to be an influencer or to amass fame and wealth. I'm speaking to our younger 20-somethings and under. A poll was t taken from, from high schoolers to college to grow up. They said, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And they said, I wanna be famous. You can spend your entire life trying to be significant or you can spend your entire life making him significant, but you can't do both. And if, if politics is about power, then this one, this cross that you must bear is about control. I wanna control people and their affairs. I wanna influence them or manipulate whatever word that you wanna use. I wanna control, I wanna have wealth so I can control my life so bad things won't happen to me. Some of you will have to crucify your politics. Some of you will have to crucify this desire for fame. Some of you will have to crucify sexuality and gender identity, which is prevalent right now. If, if politics is about power and, and influence and in, in your wealth is about control, then these two categories is about pleasure and identity. Identity, pleasure, power, wealth, fame, these are the currencies of this kingdom. Amass them, make them great. Jesus says, leave that behind. If you wanna be great in this kingdom, come low. With sexuality and, I, and gender, it's about I wanna define myself. And can I just say, you don't get to define yourself. The king who created you does. It's his, not yours. Uh, when I was 16, and I'll start wrapping up and closing here. When I was 16 years old, I had to pick up my cross. I looked at the scriptures and I looked at Jesus' invitation and it was plain that I had a cross to bear. I was 16, 17 years old, played a bunch of sports, charismatic, ran with a bunch of guys who were way too confident for their own good. And we had one agenda in mind. We're gonna sleep with as many women as we possibly can because that's what you do when you're that age. I had two cultures wrestling within me, a kingdom culture and a worldly culture. What the Bible says, the flesh and of the spirit. And can I just say, in this kingdom, I had four pieces of evidence to affirm my desire. Number one, my biology. My, science told me 
If you believe evolution, it was, hey, your body to reproduce is a good thing because you're supposed to advance your species and protect yourself. My biology was raging in this direction of going, oh, this is a good thing, you should do it. You were born this way, you were born to do this very thing. Don't deny yourself. Number two piece of evidence, not just biology, number two piece of evidence was the peers around me saying, this is what men do, Tyler. This is what our fathers did, this is what our grandfathers did, this is what our great-grandfathers did. This is what it is to be a man, to, look, to act like this, conquest and conquer. Number three piece of evidence, the law. What we were looking for was completely legal. Finally, culture. Culture would say things like, well, you know, boys will be boys. Sow your wild oats. Movies like American Pie and all sorts of movies that go, well, when you go to college, do you? I find it hilarious, devastatingly hilarious, that culture is now condemning young men for being boys. They gave birth to this kind of a culture. They raised this kind of person to be far more like a dog than a man. And now that we're seeing in our culture, they're condemning the very thing that they gave birth to. Four pieces of evidence that said, do you, Tyler? One piece of evidence that said no. And I sat with this piece of evidence and it confronted me and it condemned these actions and these desires. I had men and women come to me, not only will you not do this, you're gonna deny yourself until you are married and when you are married, you're going to make a covenant and you're not gonna sleep around with a bunch of women, you're sleeping with one woman for the rest of your life, completely against biology, completely against the culture, completely opposed to it. It said no to fornication, it said no to polygamy, it said no, do not treat another human being like an object or a plaything. And you know what I found about this piece of evidence? Not only did it confront me, but it comforted me. It held me in the dark when I felt alone because I watched young men who did what they th seemed, uh, thought seemed to be right and in the way it led to their death and demise. They were far more weak and more like beasts than they were men. And the promises from this kingdom come from a king called the father of lies. It promises you happiness and it steals, kills, and destroys you. But this truth I have found set me free. It held me at night when I was scared. When I felt anxiety and depression, it brought hope to me. When I needed clarity for the direction for my life, it was like a light to my path. It stayed with me longer than any other human relationship had. Was it direct? Was it confronting? Was it condemning of my old way of living? Absolutely, and yet it did for me what nobody else would do. It told me the honest truth. And I found truth will always set you free. When God says no, it requires you to trust him. And it's in this space that you find freedom. I have found that the boundary lines for me have fallen on pleasant places and they are not like prison bars. They are like a refuge and a fortress to me. They watch over me and they keep me safe. They hem me in. They do not stifle me. They keep me from being overwhelmed by darkness in this broken world. That kingdom will promise you autonomy. And it'll always say yes, not because it cares about your happiness, but because it wants to hold you hostage and a slave. This kingdom, God did not come to make you a slave to his will. It's his will that will set you free. That's why he wants you to submit to his will fully, because it's the only way to be free. 
As we close, some of you are here today, and I just want us to close our eyes if we can and just bow our heads. I just want us to please hear this part. Listen very carefully to these next words. Once again, it is not about perfection. It is about the practice of the way of following your rabbi. Just because you don't live it out perfectly, his commands does not mean that he rejects you or that you're not a real Jesus follower, but you are practicing leaving the old way behind. Here's what I want for us today. I want freedom. I want joy. I want life and life to the full. And what, the way you get life and life to the full is to abandon what this world offers you and tells you is life. It's not life, it's death. I want you to walk away from that and walk towards him. It's not easy, but Jesus made it clear. Deny yourself. It's not easy, but the scriptures make it clear. Pick up your cross. It's not easy, but I want you to release the grip on the net that you're currently holding, and I want you to leave it behind. And so if you're here today and I'm speaking to you about any of these things, you go, Tyler, what you're saying is resonating with me. It, it's convicting, it's confronting me like it confronted you. Here's what I want you to do. If you look at your heart and you go, there are things in my life that I hold more precious than Christ and his kingdom. I want you just, and you don't have to hold it up high. Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want you to hold out your hand and I want you to squeeze it with the tightest grip that you possibly can hold it in. I want you just to squeeze it as tight as you can so you can feel your fingernails digging into your palms. For many of us, you're saying, Tyler, I want to release the net, but it's got such a grip on me. I cannot open my hand. I'm scared of the outcome. To put up a boundary or to say no to things means that there is gonna be significant consequences. Tyler, I cannot let go. And all I'm gonna do, I ask right now is I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to whisper to you and loosen your grip so that you can let go of the net. Holy Spirit, I ask. I ask right now, would you be with us as the spirit of comfort but also the spirit of truth. Speak the truth in such a way that we hear it as an individual and we understand it. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask for a release of hands to release the net, to release the old way of living. I know it's hard, but Holy Spirit, I know you're there to give us courage and confidence to step into the new, to be, as the scripture says, born again. I'm not just accepting the call of Jesus and following him and to learn to live like him, I'm also learning how to not live like I used to. And Jesus, right now, I'm committing to being a disciple of yours. Point out the nets in my life so that I might let them go and follow you fully. Because we want intimacy with you and a real relationship, a real intimate relationship gives you the freedom to be Lord over our lives as well as our savior. I thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, I want you to take a survey of your life and I just want you to, to survey and go, where are the nets? And I'm not asking you to release them right away. I'm just saying when he shows you the net, you have to pray for your grip to loosen. Because if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, it means you are going to have to let those things go. That the Bible says plainly, that's not how a Jesus follower acts and operates. 
With that being said, thank you so much for, for the time. I know we're running over. As we're closing out, just a few things. Number one, if it's your very first time here at Northlands, I'd love to meet you with some of our other leaders in the lobby, grab a cup of coffee with you on us, and just to hear more of your story. Uh, I also wanna just highlight for the parents, you should have received an email this week about Move Up Sunday. The gist is simply this, don't miss Move Up Sunday next week because we want your kids in the classes, their new classes and environments because we want to celebrate them. It's gonna be a big day next Sunday for them and we wanna celebrate those kids. Uh, I also just wanna give an opportunity and space uh, for ministry. If you need ministry of any kind, would you come to the front? We'd love to pray with you. We see oftentimes when, when believers gather together, the Holy Spirit will speak to us about our lives and our circumstances. The Bible calls these words of knowledge. And so you'll see some words come up on the screen. And what those are, they might just be a phrase or a picture, a sentence, a verse reference. If any of those phrases resonates with you or the circumstances of your life and what you're going through, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you about that very thing, but you don't need a word of knowledge to, to receive prayer. If you need prayer for anything at all, healing, anything at all, come to the front. We'd love to pray with you. With that, have a great rest of your weekend, and we will see you next Sunday.